this week in cyberspace. It all began as a centre for tech utopia, but it's actually turned into something quite frightening. I'm talking about Silicon Valley, home of the digitally free and technologically brave. But with no ethics surrounding the development of this seemingly limitless computer industry, has it now got us all by the short and curlies? Brett, what are your thoughts uh, on the once utopian uh, Silicon Valley these days? <laughs> good to be back for this week in cyberspace. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a really good question because, you know, so much of the technology that we use comes out of Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is located in California and had that kind of spirit of, you know, we can use technology to kind of solve the world's problems. Um, it's going to make us freer. It's going to liberate us. I'm not going to use my my best American accent, but you know, you get the picture. And so you had all of these uh, companies that started. So people like, you know, Elon Musk, but also um, Steve Jobs and, um, um, you know, and the like. <laughs> <laughs> Those kind of Frankensteins. Well, you know, started off as kind of... Kind of monsters in the end. Yeah. Like, I mean, this huge... Uh, thing that Elon Musk put up into the sky the other day, Skylark, whatever yeah. it was called, and it exploded within yeah. 30 seconds. I mean, it is kind of pushing the frontiers of what we can do here on Earth it, <laughs> as a species, <laughs> but is it for the good of humanity? Yeah, well, I mean, the thing that I think we need to remember is that Silicon Valley and the digital sphere is largely privatised. You know, we, we, we feel like it's sort of the town square. We feel like we can communicate, you know, in ways that work for us. But actually, it is all about profit. And so when you bring ethics or human rights into the equation, that's often seen as a handbrake on profits. It's the same way as you've seen with, like, you know, the mining sector, which just wants to, or logging, they just want to go in and get as much as they can and make as much money. And, and there's been now a reckoning of that. And I think similarly in the tech sector, we're starting to see little chips maybe in the kind of, you know, tech utopian kind of frame, framing, a neoliberal framing of Silicon Valley that we do need restraints. We do need guardrails mm. because the technologies are so significant now. They're so impactful on every part of our life and every part of our society that for them just to be able to operate in the so-called Wild West is no longer okay. No, these cowboys are kind of out of control. And then last week we mentioned the layoff of the ethics team at Microsoft. I mean, how, how significant is it for a huge company like that to abandon ethics as a foundational principle of its organisation? Yeah. So I'm, I have a, a sort of slightly different take on this. I think uh, just before I answer that question about ethics, I think it's really important that we look at the conflict, and I see it as a conflict between human rights and ethics, um, you know, ethics are very much a kind of moral code, and it's obviously important to have a moral code, but ethics are kind of much more subjective. So if you think about my moral code, mm, yeah. <laughs> if you dare, <laughs> and your moral code, and, you know, a person living in Vietnam or a person or a government operating in China, like there are so many different ethical frameworks that are around. So it is, for me, the wrong um, um, institutionalization. I don't want to see the institutionalization of ethics. I want to see the institutionalization of human rights. The reason I say that is because human rights are far more 
um, certain. There's precedent that sits behind them. There's a legal framework that you can enforce, even though it's difficult, where you can enforce your rights. And there is a universality to them. And so, um, and so I would be um, proposing, and we have at Access Now proposing that companies have do human rights due diligence, that they have human rights policies, that they have representatives at a board level who are able to, you know, you know, question the CEO about the human rights implications of XYZ technology. Having said all that, um, the the question of um, some sort of like code, whether it be rights or ethics, that guides a company uh, is absolutely essential. And the fact that Microsoft has let its ethics team go on artificial intelligence is definitely concerning. There's no doubt about it because these are the people who are looking at things like you know, the data sets that are being used to inform the artificial intelligence. They're looking at the issues around discrimination um, for different communities as a result of how the AI algorithm actually rolls out. So all of these questions are super important and you need to have not just the engineers in Silicon Valley and not just the, the, the lawyers, but you do need to have human rights specialists or ethical ethicists who are able to guide you. And as I say, it's much better for it to be a human rights framework um, than, you, than relying upon ethics. Yeah, because tech ethics is kind of a, a, a grey area, isn't it? I mean, what should they be? What Are there any at the moment? Can we insist on the creation of ethically sound platforms? Well, I mean, I... Th <laughs> It's a really good question. You know, like if you look at what Elon Musk has done, uh, he, not just what he's doing in space, but what he's doing here on planet Earth with, with Twitter, you know, it's a real, similarly, the trust and safety teams were let go of, the human rights teams were let go of. I mean, this was like the first course of action, not the last, this was the first course of action. It's like, let's just get rid of everyone who might have you an know, opinion on what we're doing. And so you can see like and what's happening. And we'll just do and it. And we'll just go ahead. Yeah. And you can see what's happening in, in, in India right now. You know, the government is trying to further control the digital sphere because it wants to entrench its own power. Um, and so, um, you know, Elon Musk basically said this week that his obligation is to, um, to comply with Indian law. Right. And the Indian government might be complying with its own ethics, you know, ethical framework, but it's certainly breaching human rights. It's breaching human rights in terms of freedom of expression, in terms of the right to access information, in terms of the right to assembly. All of these rights are at risk. Um, and so you do need to have at the highest levels within these companies um, people who are who it's their responsibility, like it's their mandated responsibility to um, oversee the way in which which a company operates. Many years ago, um, my organization Access Now, we started a conference which was called the Silicon Valley Human Rights Conference. Like it couldn't be more plain, right? Silicon Valley Human Rights. Human rights, um, ha the, the technologies have human rights implications. And when you're developing those technologies, you need to understand what it's going to do to a person in Amman, Jordan. This is around the time of, you know, the, time of the Arab Spring. Um, and so we've seen the way in which um, the companies haven't really listened sufficiently. Um, you've seen the way that, you know, the surveillance sector, which we've talked a lot about on mm. this week in cyberspace, mm. has denied the like a wholesale denial of the right to privacy 
You know, its its business model is actually to invade your privacy. That's what spying is. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Spyware. So, and I think, but but to answer your question, I think, and I don't want to put the obligation back onto the consumer because I think that's unfair. Like, it's not our responsibility to make sure that you don't deny our rights, but we do have power in the in the um, in the marketplace. And if you look, for example, at Apple, you know, I was in um, Times Square a few weeks ago, and there was a massive um, billboard and it said. Think Apple, think privacy, right? That's now their business model. Like we will protect your privacy, come and buy our products. So I think some things are turning on that front. Wow, yeah, that does sound like a big a big change. I was thinking about YouTube and uh, there, there was that time when their algorithm was promoting all sorts of conspiracy theories to get mm. more money from advertisements. And, and then the company Still decided does. to, but it, <laughs> it, it kind of turned around and decided to act more ethically and change that algorithm to be less aggressively promoting fake news. Yeah. Well, if you speak to the climate folks, like people who are working on, on climate change or trying to you know, prevent climate change, they will tell you that across the world, regardless of jurisdiction, that when a person starts, um, you know, on their YouTube, you know, spiral, as we, we sometimes do, you know, start with one video and then another one plays and then another one plays, it will over time end you up with, with climate denialists. Like that's the video that you'll end up watching. And so, you know, many of our friends in the climate movement have said, you know, if you can do one thing, like it's changed YouTube's algorithm because what you don't want is an algorithm that takes you to a place which is actually denying the existence of something that is not only true, but the greatest threat to our, plan, <laughs> to our existence. Why are they doing that? Just because of uh, the funding model that I they think, I mean, employ? You know, shock and horror is kind of is the business model in well a we've way. seen this and now with murdoch as well haven't and, we yeah and you can exactly. <laughs> i mean it's rolling out right in front right of our before, eyes exactly and i think that you know the companies will deny this but what their their ultimate aim is i mean they'll deny parts of this but what their ultimate aim is of course is you know is eyeballs they want eyeballs on the screen for as long as possible so that they can feed you ads that then are paid for by the companies that are trying to sell you those products so you know there's nothing more interesting than um, and more kind of enticing than a good lie, <laughs> you know, than good fake or a good news. Drama, good fake news. Good fake news. Yeah, or it's scandalous. Like, it's scandalous, fantastic. Keep them, you know, keep them going. Drama, drama. Yeah. Conflict, conflict. Yeah. And so, you know, meanwhile, the planet burns. And yeah. so I think that there is, there is a reckon, I mean, there's a whole movement towards algorithmic transparency. There's a lot of you know organisations, including ours, that are basically saying that the black box of the algorithm um, has to go. Like we need insight into it, and people also to be able to have control over the algorithm as well, so that you can actually design your algorithm that gives you the kind of feeds you the kind of content that you're looking for, as opposed to the kind of content that's going to keep your eyes stuck on the screen. It feels though that the genie is out of the bottle i mean with all of this technology can we stuff it back in is there a way to to wrap some ethical yeah. framework around this yeah. industry well a, f a few th good things have happened one is that um the the human rights council which is the un body like the peak un body on human rights basically said that human rights um offline um, must be available to people online, i.e. that human rights, the right to freedom of expression, opinion, association, whatever, is actually equally available in the digital, must be equally available in the digital environment as it is in the offline environment, which is, which is a great kind of norm shift. 
The other thing that's happened is that there are a new set of principles which are really good. And I'm sorry to talk about kind of like laws and frameworks, but it's important. Um, on the guiding principles on business and human rights. And that basically says that companies must respect the human rights framework and also that states have a responsibility to protect their citizens from the actions of companies. So this is a new development, relatively new development and a really good one. It means that companies, not just the you know normally human rights, the responsibility to protect human rights lies with the state. It's the state duty prote to protect. But now we've also got here um, a new development, which means that the companies have an obligation as well. And so does the state in relation to the companies. The third bit of it is remedy as well. If it's protect, respect and remedy. If, you, if your rights are violated by a company, then you also, the company has an obligation to remediate you, to, to make good for that breach. Interesting, because yeah. in the past it was always constitutional law that corporations had to make a profit for their shareholders. And this was one of the things that environmentalists yeah. were really down on because it just meant that they could keep raping and pillaging the planet uh, under their own yeah. constitution. Well, I think that has shifted somewhat. You know, there's the new sort of ESG principles about, you know, environmentalism and sustainability, etc., um, and the triple bottom line, like we're moving, but we're moving really slow. And in fact, the technologies have been created at such a pace. You know, last week in This Week in Cyberspace, we talked about AI and generative AI and like the consequences of that. Like, you know, how do you, how are you meant to understand the human rights implications of that, particularly if you fired the human rights team? or the yeah. ethics team that's responsible for alerting you to the problems. Exactly. So how important is this moment in our um, sort of shared history? I think it's super important. I think this moment is fundamental. There are generational impacts of decisions that are being made today. There's no doubt about it. Um, and that's why it's really important to support digital civil society. Like there's a whole group of organisations around the world who are trying to fight this stuff to make sure the companies are held accountable, to make sure that they do human rights impact assessments, to make sure that governments don't pass pass fake fake news laws um, <laughs> in order to silence their critics. You know, there's a whole range of things that are happening right now, um, and it is important to get involved. You can go to accessnow.org or Electronic Frontier Foundation or um, Digital Rights Watch Australia. There's lots of organisations that are looking at this stuff and you know supporting them would be good last week we talked a little bit about what can i do what can i sign mm, you know yeah 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 and that, I, that was that open letter from the institute for the future, future for of life, the life. <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was That's just small so matter. wild That's that small, small matter, matter yeah. um and so I think, you know, I mentioned Access Now. I mean, there's a lot, of, it's an entry point to a lot of information. I'm saying it, it's my organization that I work for, but there are many other organizations that link to that. So it's a good place to start. Okay, Brett Solomon, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you.